So glad you joined us today. In the last week, we kicked off the Happiness Is series, basically talking about the blessed life, what it means to live a truly happy life as God defines it. Often, in our society, in our culture, we have this happiness facade. There's a, an, an impression, an idea that we have in our minds that we ought to pursue happiness in, in different directions of life by pursuing some of our passions, our desires, some of the things that the world offers. But we leave, we end up finding ourselves empty and, and unfulfilled in life. There is a text in which Jesus taught on what it really means to live a life that is happy in the sense that he is blessing us in a happiness as he defines it. And that's what we've been studying. If you missed it last week, make sure to pick up a CD at our resource center of that CD or of that message. It was very, very powerful. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 5. So if you have your Bibles, you can open it there. This is the very beginning of the ministry of Jesus. He is going around from town to town and he's healing people's diseases. He is casting out evil spirits that are tormenting people. He is teaching in a powerful way where lives are being transformed. So crowds begin to follow him everywhere that he went. And he would go to city to city to city and crowds would actually follow him from city to city. And then we find Matthew chapter 5 uh, describe one of the, the first main teachings of Jesus where he explained the idea of what it means to be a person who has the blessing of God in their life. This is what it says. One day as he saw the crowds gathering, Jesus went up on the mountainside, sat down, his disciples gathered around and he began to teach them. God blesses those who are poor and realize their need for him, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. God blesses those who are humble, for they will inherit the earth. God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice, for they will be satisfied. God blesses those who are merciful, for they'll be shown mercy. God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. God blesses those who work for peace, for, the, for they will be called the children of God. And God blesses those who are persecuted for doing right, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. See, this teaching is pretty interesting because you don't often partner the word blessed with poor, mourn, persecuted, hurt, you know, hunger, whatever it is that, that he starts describing here. I didn't wake up this morning and say, God, will you bless me today with the gift of hunger? I didn't wake up and say, God, will you give me the, the uh, will you bless me today and allow me to be persecuted? You see, all these different words that he is combining with this word blessed don't seem to go together. But what Jesus is doing is changing the way people think of the blessed life or a happy life in the way that he defines it and in the way that we pursue it. You don't usually partner those words, but the truth is, if a happy life or a blessed life in this sense cannot be combined with these words, we will never be blessed because we all experience poverty of some sort of way, in some sort of way. We all experience a hunger or a thirst in some sort of way in life. We all experience some sort of persecution in life. We all experience these things in life. And if we can't have those experiences and be in the presence and the blessing and the favor of God in our lives, we will never really be happy. Often we feel ashamed to pursue happiness, but maybe the reason why we have a 
a weird idea or confusion about this word of what it means to be blessed and, and combining it with the circumstance of life is because we don't really define the word blessed or happiness in the way that the scriptures do. See, the word blessed basically means this, that it means to share in the life of God the ultimate joy, a happiness that cannot be overcome with happenings. See, some modern translations began to translate blessed with happy, and then they changed it back. The reason is because blessed, happiness in our day has been redefined. The way that God defines true happiness is when we share in the life that he offers, when we have an ultimate joy that is aside and, and beyond the circumstances of life. It's got a divine touch to it. It's a happiness that flows from the grace and the favor of God. And Jesus came to the earth and he said, I came to give you life and life abundantly. And I think that's part of why we're all gathered here is because we want to find out what is that abundant life, that full life that Jesus or God himself offers to us. But it requires us to shift the way we think. And that's what Jesus was doing in the beginning, in the beginning of his ministry with this teaching. He was shifting the way we both pursued happiness and the way we defined happiness. This was part of his purpose. So we pick up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 4. This is where I want to camp on today. Verse 4 says, God blesses those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Mourning basically means this in the scriptural sense, an intimate, intense, heartbreaking sorrow. It's when you feel something at the depth of your being, of your heart, some sort of pain inside of you. And we all experience this. You might be, might be experiencing it right now. Maybe it's something in your past or maybe, you, maybe you'll experience it tomorrow after you go home and you go to work. But we all experience this type of heartbreak and this intense, intimate type of pain in our heart. It comes to all of us, but we respond to it differently. A few weeks ago, I shared with you about one of my weaknesses, that I don't do well seeing people in pain and share with you an experience. And one of the guys in the soundboard uh, reminded me of, of what happened in the early days. He was there that day of the early days of South Bay Church. When we launched the church, we were doing these preview services for the community. We'll basically gather here at the school and invite as many people as we can to come. And we did it once a month for about three or four months. And then in between the preview services, we would do what we call the comeback event. So we went bowling and we did different things. And the comeback event was for you to get to know our staff and for people to start getting to know each other and build relationships because we were all, it was a new church, right? So one of our comeback events was uh, we went to see a movie and we went to see Seven Pounds by Will Smith. Anyone seen that movie around here? Some of you? Yes, it's a very intense movie and I don't usually do so well with these type of movies and my wife always tells me like, it's just a movie, but it doesn't work for me. I just, I just don't, it does, doesn't, I don't do so well with it. But in this movie, Will Smith's character is basically going through these scenarios where he's dying or giving his life for the sake of others and it's very intense pain and suffering and and it's a very dark movie in a sense and you might like that stuff but I I don't typically like it very much but at the end of the movie it all climaxes to this scene where he's inside this bathtub and there's water in it there's some kind of sea animal and it's going to shock him to death so he's basically trying to kill himself and it's like the music's playing and it's like intense and it's dark in the theater, obviously. And, and I don't know if you feel it like I do, but I felt it. And I was just like, I started getting lightheaded and I, I don't do well with that stuff. And, and then I, I think it was Pastor Andy next to me and I was like, I don't feel well. And then, all, and then I black out. 
in the theater and see the end of the movie. And not only that, to make it worse, as I start coming back, um, I just got so sick when I started seeing that. I was like feeling it. I threw up my popcorn into the popcorn bag and then I passed it around. I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do that. But, but it, it was so intense for me that I, I, I threw up and I, I felt embarrassed. I was like, people are like, what happened to him? Like, it's bad popcorn. You know, and, <laughs> um, you know, we all experience pain and we react to it in different ways. And our temptation is to run from any sort of pain or hurt. It's to say, no, I don't want to deal with that. But Jesus, in this scenario here, he's saying, look, there's actually a type of mourning, a type of intense pain or hurt or loss in your heart, a type of emotion that I will bless you for having. When you come to me, there's a type of mourning that I will bless and I will comfort if you allow me in. Usually, we think of mourning in the context of death only, but in this context, it's actually speaking much more than just death. In fact, I want to walk you three types of mourning that God says he will bless in our life. The first one, and it's in your notes, get your pens ready, you can write it down. It's uh, the mourning for our own sins. This usually, uh, or this is the morning that we feel, that we sense inside of us, but when we come to understand the corruption of our nature, the magnitude of our wrongdoing, the lack of magnifying God or honoring God for what he's worth, the disregard for goodness, it's when we weep over our past mistakes. A few weeks, we talked, a few weeks ago, we talked about uh, the repentant woman in Luke chapter 7, who washed the feet of Christ with her tears and was mourning the damage that her actions had caused to the people in her life and to her the God in her life she wept at the feet of Jesus when we think of mourning we think of sorrow it's that deep intense type of sorrow in our hearts and the scriptures tell us that there are two types of sorrows that we can experience in life and it's found in 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 38 it'll be on your screen also it says this the kind of sorrow that God wants us to experience. Now, stop for just a sec here. It says that he wants us to experience a sort of sorrow. Do you see? It's the same type of message. Jesus says, I will bless you for this type of mourning. The type of sorrow he wants us to experience leads us away from sin and results in salvation or life. There's no regret of any kind for that sorrow. But worldly sorrow, which lacks repentance, results in spiritual death. Let me simplify it for you. It says the worldly sorrow basically comes from the consequence of our sin. But godly sorrow comes from the awareness of the wickedness of our sin. See, worldly sorrow is like I got busted, I got caught, I feel bad. That's that feeling of bad, that's worldly sorrow. I, got, I have consequences I have to deal with. But it's totally different when you experience godly sorrow and you understand the depth of your actions and the wickedness of your sin. Mark chapter 14, verse 30, 72, it says this, that it talks about Peter, that after denying that he even knew Jesus, he realized what he had done, he broke down and he wept in a, a flood of tears for the suffering that he had caused for, the, the, for being a coward, basically, in denying Jesus. So we see one of his, the disciples at the end of Jesus' life, Peter, being, uh, weeping over his mistake. And we see another one, Judas. And it says also in Matthew chapter 27 that, he, that Judas felt a sense of remorse. He felt bad, but then he went and he took his life. 
So his remorse or sorrow led him to death, yet Peter, on the other hand, who felt a godly type of sorrow that was combined with repentance or the turnaround of behavior, it led him to life, and God used Peter to change his generation. See, it's not that one mistake was bigger than the other one. It's that they they experienced different types of sorrows. One sorrow is based on the consequence. One sorrow is based on the wickedness of our sin and the awareness of that. And when we come to God and acknowledge the wickedness of our sin and we allow ourselves to mourn for that sin, then God extends grace and favor and comfort over us to the point where he allows us to be used to bring hope to the world just like he did with Peter. Peter was one of the foundational men of God that God God used to be the, the catalyst for the church explosion of his generation. He changed uh, his entire generation because of the sorrow he felt. See, I remember in my life specifically, and you might also in yours, the difference between these two types of sorrows. I remember one type of sorrow when I was caught in my sin. I was caught and I had consequences with police, with my family, and with my school. And feeling, that, feeling bad because of the consequences of my sin. Now I have to deal with this type of junk. And, and there was a sense of remorse in me, but it was not because I was aware of what my sin did. It was because I felt bad that I had consequences for my sin. And the reason I know this is because when you, get, when you have this type of sorrow, your mindset is, I'm just going to be more careful next time. Instead of, I'm going to change my behavior altogether. But I will never forget the day I experienced godly sorrow for the first time. I was in a a retreat with people all my age and I began to relinquish control of my life to God as I was singing songs to him and I felt God coming nearer and nearer and nearer and as he came near, I began to see my sin as heavier and deeper and, and, and filthier than ever before to the point where I broke down and wept. And I remember feeling the sense of, God, I can't believe I finally see it. My sin has separated me from my creator. And I wept and it caused true repentance to, to be formed in my heart and restoration to, to follow. I had experienced worldly sorrow many times in life, but never this type of godly sorrow. The closer we get to our God, the, the, the more we see the sin in us. And until we're able to experience that and mourn our own sin, we're not able to experience the honor and the favor and the grace of God in our lives. When you think of James, the brother of Jesus, it says that in the beginning of the ministry of Jesus, his brothers and his sisters did not believe in who he was. But at the end of his life, they were all there committed to him. But James became, he saw the resurrected Jesus and he became one of the the primary uh, leaders of the early church and he wrote the book of James and in chapter four, he describes what I think he experienced and he says, let there be tears for what you have done. Let there be sorrow and deep grief. Let there be sadness instead of laughter and gloom instead of joy. Humble yourselves before the Lord and then he will lift you up in honor. And over and over again, these very disciples experienced this. That it's not when you run from sin and you pretend like you got it together that God will bless your life. 
It's when you acknowledge that you are filthy, you need God, you have wickedness and and the depth of sin that separates you from your God and when you humble yourself and and you let there be tears for the things that you have done, you and I, it says that God will then lift us up in honor and he used James and he used Peter and he used all of these early followers to change their generation. Not because they were faultless, but because they mourned their own sin. When we come to a point where we're broken over our sin, face our reality, we can experience the favor, the forgiveness, the comfort, and the restoration that God offers. The second type of mourning that is so powerful that Jesus is speaking of here is their first one is a sin over our sin, but the second one is the, is this, the mourning over the brokenness of others. Number two is the brokenness of others. It's a sympathizing mourning for the afflictions of others. It's a compassion for those who are lost or broken. And when we face the broken of, brokenness of our world, there are two different paths we can take. And you experience this on a daily basis. You can get angry or you can feel compassion. So when you see somebody who is, is in sin and, and you know, living in anger and whatever else, we can get angry at them or can, we can respond with compassion as Jesus did. We see Matthew chapter 9, for example, when Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. See, he could have looked at the crowds and, and, and proclaimed judgment. on These people are confused. They're, in, they're deep into sin and they're looking for happiness in all the wrong places. And, and I, I, you know, they, he could have just been angry and, and, and cast judgment on them. But instead, he understood where that brokenness came from. Because Jesus would take the time to understand the heart of people and then it moved them to act with compassion. We see in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is, is go, goes up on the hill and he can see the whole city of Jerusalem, which was supposed to be the city that represented God himself. And, and it says that he saw the, lost and the, or the lostness and the brokenness of the people and he broke down and wept because they lacked peace and they were rejecting their God. See, Jesus could have very easily just said, man, to hell with these people. He could have proclaimed judgment and gotten angry, but instead, he knew why they were broken and he took the time to respond with compassion. Godly sorrow here is allowing ourselves to be moved with compassion and to seek to understand the issue instead of just proclaim judgment on the person. See, worldly sorrow blames and judges and and doesn't seek to understand the root of the problem. When was the last time that you and I got on our knees and asked God to break our hearts for the brokenness of our world? When was the last time you even saw a coworker or a neighbor or a family member who was in trouble and that broke your heart? See, it's so easy for us to live a self-centered life where we don't allow the, the brokenness of the world around us to come in our heart, but Jesus turns to us and he says, you wanna experience a blessed life? You let yourself mourn for your sins and the sins and the brokenness of others because there is a comfort that follows that. This might mean that instead of getting mad at the self-centered girl at your work, you would take her out for lunch and find out why she's like that, where her insecurity came from, who rejected her in life. 
It might mean that instead of cursing a neighbor or an acquaintance who has anger problems toward you, or toward everybody maybe, you would bring them a latte and let them tell you the story of their abused past. It might mean that instead of judging the homosexuals you come across, you seek to understand their story. You don't need to agree with the lifestyle to listen and to love. Instead of cussing out your waiter because of their, the stress caused them to mess up your order, it's to look at people in the eye and, and find out what made your day so bad and find a way to bless them. You see, Jesus had a way to look at people and instead of their brokenness causing them to react in anger, he would show them compassion. And he's saying, the blessed life is the life of those who allow the brokenness of this world to penetrate your heart in some sort of way so that you would mourn this type of brokenness. This mourning produces compassion and it moves you to act in love Many of you have been watching Whitney Houston's funeral stuff this week and passed away and I, my wife and I were watching last night and had a couple of thoughts that came to mind as I watched it. Uh, one of them was, as I, I watched the, the people sitting around and her family members even sitting there, I was thinking, man, she, she was somebody's sister. She's somebody's mother. She's somebody's daughter. There are people that are, very, are hurting right now. The other thought that came to my mind is I wonder how many people in her life saw her brokenness and weren't moved enough to act in compassion toward her to the point where a woman with such great gift felt so insecure and broken and unloved that she would live a life that resulted in this type of death. See, often we don't allow the brokenness of our world to penetrate our hearts and we run from a sort of pain that God says, I will bless you for a feeling. The third type of mourning I want to talk about as we close our time is the mourning for those we miss. And this is the mourning that we often think of when we are thinking of mourning itself. It's, it's, this, it's the mourning that tells people we're in pain and we've experienced some sort of loss. It opens up, us up for others to know us and it makes us transparent in some sort of way. It's the public expression of our sorrow. And it's proven that if we don't experience this type of mourning, if we don't let ourselves grieve, it can result in psychosis and, and illnesses and diseases and can result in all kinds of physical manifestations. And until we live with the reality of the loss of a loved one or the loss of a relationship or the loss of something meaningful to us or maybe the loss of a piece of someone we were, once were, we have not integrated with our grief and, and in an essence, we're not living in reality. And Jesus always brought people back to reality. It's not that you have to run from trouble, but when you face trouble, consider it joy because there are great things coming. It's not that you're not gonna be persecuted, but when you get persecuted, just know that I will be there. I will comfort you. I will lead you. It's not, see, pain will come to people that love God or don't love God, but our response is what shows us the difference if we know him or not. And there is a mourning that is displayed through the people that know God that comes with a comfort and a favor of God. Even Jesus mourned this way. So in, in John chapter 11, verse 32, it says that Mary's brother had died and when, and when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you only had been here, my brother would not have died. Her brother was a friend of Jesus and when Jesus saw her weeping, 
and saw the other people wailing with her, deep anger welled up within him, and he was deeply troubled. And, and it says, where have you put him? He asked him. They told him, Lord, come and see. And then Jesus wept. See, some people feel like they're too good, too big, too strong to weep. And whenever we feel like we're too strong to weep, we're basically saying we're, we're, we're stronger than God himself who created those emotions. Part of us living life in reality is allowing our hearts to be broken for our sin, for the brokenness of others, and allow ourselves to feel when we experience loss, but to bring that loss and that feeling back to God. Godly mourning here is being able to display humility and accept the help of others. It's allowing yourself to express your pain, maybe to cry on somebody's shoulder, and ultimately to take that pain to God. Psalm 51 has, has, a, has a beautiful verse. It says that God is close to the brokenhearted. I love that verse. When, I, when I'm feeling that, that brokenness inside of me, I'm just remembering. I think of my kids when, they, when they're brokenhearted, how much I want to comfort and embrace them. And to know that my God and our God feels the same way toward us, that when we are brokenhearted, that's when he's saying, come, come to me. This is so important because this type of mourning comes from love. And love is a command that Jesus gave us. He said to love one another deeply. And the truth is that when, when we love deeply, we will lose profoundly. If we, are not will, if we don't want to lose, we just should not love anymore. If you don't want to mourn, you should just stop loving. And that's really what happens to so many. And maybe you're sitting here and you're, you've withdrawn for people because you've hurt before. You've experienced loss and so now you refuse to let people near. And when we come on stage and we say, join a life group or get in community or, or you know, get to know people, get into a relationship for your benefit, you, something in you says, I, I can't because you don't want to get close anymore because when you get close, you get hurt. But you know what Jesus says to us? He says, it's worth it. Love is worth the sacrifice, which is ultimately why he went to the cross for the sake of love. We love deeply, and the consequence is that we mourn deeply. But that mourning comes with a comfort of God if we allow him to be a part of it. The beauty of all this is this last word. It says, for they will be comforted. The word comfort here means to call to one side, to be near, to exhort or to encourage it's saying that these type of people, if you blessed are those who mourn, who mourn their sins, the brokenness of the world, and even the loss of their life, and if you come, if you allow me to be a part of it, Jesus says, there is a comfort that, is, that comes with that. I will call you to my side, is what it means. For those who mourn their own sins and come with repentance, God calls us home with forgiveness and open arms Nothing can separate us from the love of God. For those who mourn the brokenness of others and, and are moved with compassion, God sa- stands on our side with intimacy and gives us with, gives us with that intimacy with him. For those who mourn the loss of someone or something or a relationship, 
and come to him with their hurt, God embraces us with the comfort of his grace. And he welcomes us no matter what we feel, but we have to come to him. And you know, as a pastor, we get to see the worst and the best in people often. And we've seen people lose family members and friends and, and parts of their body and, and all kinds of stuff. And I can tell you with confidence that there is a huge difference with people that allow themselves to experience godly sorrow and take their pain to God. And I see God carrying them through a circumstance and the people who reject and don't allow themselves to mourn how they feel lonely and depressed and full of anxiety. Even in my own life, I, I think of the week I got married. My wife and I had our, our, one of our best friends, my, my wife's best friend growing up, die in a car accident two days before our wedding day. And that week, I remember talking to, to my soon-to-be wife and thinking, how can we get married and go on a honeymoon and celebrate when we are mourning the death of one of our best friends, her husband was one of my groomsmen and, and she was my wife's bridesmaids and, and, she, and just having that deep emotion and I remember asking God, God, will you give us grace for this moment? And when we look back now, I just, I, it's hard for, even me, for me to even know how we dealt with it, but the favor and the grace of God that week was so tremendous we enjoyed our wedding and our honeymoon and had a, a, a great time. And there's a favor and a comfort that the Spirit of God will give us when we come to Him with our pain. And you know, I want to close by just sharing with you a, a text from Isaiah 61 that basically describes Jesus. It was before he was ever born, but it was prophetically speaking of the Messiah, the one that would be sent by God to restore humanity. And Jesus quoted this himself, and it says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me, for the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to comfort the brokenhearted, to proclaim that captives will be released, that prisoners will be freed. He sent me to, to tell those who mourn, listen, that a time of the Lord's favor has come. And, and then he says, to those who mourn, he will give a crown of beauty for ashes, a joyous blessing instead of mourning, festive praise instead of despair. That Jesus can relate with our weaknesses and he came to repair the brokenness of humanity. And his sorrow he felt for the brokenness of humanity moved him to act with love and compassion and took him to the cross. And on that cross it says that our brokenness became his brokenness. And his brokenness became our healing. And those that come to him now in relationship with him, not religion, you turn your heart toward him and away from your sin. If you come to him, he says, I will bless you. I will comfort you. I will repair what's been broken. I will restore what's been taken from you. It might not even be in this life, but he promises in the life to come. And in this life, he promises the blessing of comfort. I want to ask you to close your eye with me as we close. Maybe you're sitting here, and for you, your place in the story and the teaching is that you have to ask God to bring a, a, an awareness of the wickedness of your own sin. And maybe you've never had that moment of, God, I, I see I'm sinful and I need you. And you need to weep at the cross of Jesus today and let him be a part of that and let him restore you and let him forgive you. 
and receive that comfort that he offers. Maybe you're here and your brokenness needs to be for the people in the world. And instead of reacting in anger and disappointment and hurt, you start acting in compassion and allowing the Spirit of God to use you to bring light to the brokenness and, and reparation to those who have been destroyed. And maybe you've lost someone here or some kind of relationship and you haven't yet allowed God into that part of your life. And he says, God, I will bless you when you mourn, when you rest on my shoulders, when you allow me close and I will comfort you if you let me in. Father, I thank you for your grace, for the fact that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God I thank you, Jesus, that you relate with all our weaknesses, that you experience all of our sorrows, and that you allowed yourself to, to go to the cross on our behalf so that our brokenness can have a remedy, so that you can come with comfort and restoration to our lives. And I pray that all of us here would allow you in today to the depth of our intense and intimate and deep sorrow. And breathe life and hope into our lives, Jesus, I pray. Amen.